Hello and welcome to the Try Talking Sport podcast hosted by me, Joanne Murphy. Whether you are an athlete, adventurer, endurance enthusiast or simply have an interest in sport, you have come to the right place for inspiration, encouragement, motivation and as always plenty of entertainment. How is it the end of 2023 already? It feels like this year has flashed by so quickly. I'm not sure if it's because it's been such a busy year or that as we get older, the days and months just go much quicker. Either way, I hope you had a great year and achieved all that you aspired to do. If you didn't, then don't be too hard on yourself. As we know, life is a journey to be enjoyed with goals along the way to keep us motivated and moving forward. I achieved some, not all of the goals for the year, but the ones I did achieve, even the little ones, I'm grateful for and proud of. At the moment, we are in the middle of the Try Talking Sport Fit for Christmas Challenge. 300 people signed up to achieve a daily goal to move in some way for 30 minutes with daily activities to complete as part of the challenge. And considering how busy life is most days, but especially in December, to get 30 minutes to exercise can be a goal that whilst it seems very small, can actually be quite hard to achieve. I have to say I love ticking off the boxes on the planner to show the days I've been active across the month. And some of those days, it's been a real struggle to get the session done. Speaking of goals, my big one for next year on the racing side is to tackle Ironman 70.3 Mallorca. I've raced it a few times, the last time being in 2017. I managed to get a sprint race done this year, so I'm looking forward to, I think, getting in gear for racing, or should I say participating at the race in Alcudia. There's a nice gang of us doing it, so it should add to the fun competition and general enjoyment of the event. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? Oh, and the sunshine, that's a definite bonus too. It's been a busy few weeks since the last episode hosting events for Sport Ireland, Gymnastics Ireland, Triathlon Ireland and of course Run in the Dark in Cork and Dublin. With the planning well underway for next year, 2024 is shaping up to be a busy one too with some new events on the cards and I'm excited to see where my announcing adventures will bring me next year. It's been such a whirlwind of a year this year. I am glad to be home for a couple of weeks before I hit the road again and pick up a microphone. We had a huge response to the previous episode of the podcast featuring Ironman World Champion Lucy Charles Barkley. Thanks to everyone who got in touch after listening to the show and welcome to all of our new listeners. It's lovely to have you join us. Calling Lucy down the finish line as the Ironman World Champion in Kona was by far the highlight of the year for me, as I'm sure you will have gathered from the previous episode. Rolling with the World Championship team in this episode, I was thrilled to be a guest on Breakfast with Bob in Kona and delighted that he joins me as the guest on this final episode of the podcast for 2023. Before we dive into this episode, some quick notes of interest. Our weekly Zwift spin with Oliver Harkin of Park Tri and RWB Ireland continues every Monday night, rolling out at 7.05pm GMT for an hour of chat and cycling. It's a great way to kickstart the week and we will resume on Monday the 1st of January. It's a very social spin so you don't need to be speedy to join us. Find us on the companion app or drop me a message and I'll send you the sign up link. As always, don't forget about our discount on Nuisan products. If you haven't checked them out yet, go to www.nuisan.com to see their range of products and use the code TTS15 to get 15% discount online. I recently got their new bath salts and they are fab. Finally, we have a limited number of Try Talking Sport bobble hats now available for purchase. You can check them out on www.trytalkingsport.com and if you're feeling lucky, check out the Christmas Cracker competitions running on our Facebook page across the month of December for the chance to win some prizes from Santa's sleigh. Now to this week's guest. Bob Babbitt, who is an icon and legend of the sport of triathlon. He fell in love with the sport when he completed his first Ironman in 1980 in Oahu. That day literally changed his whole life for the better and he has never looked back. 
a member of the Ironman Hall of Fame, the USA Triathlon Hall of Fame, co-founder of Competitor Magazine and the Challenged Athletes Foundation, Bob has been involved in the sport of triathlon for almost five decades and shows no sign of stopping or indeed hanging up his tri-suit. Host of the hugely popular Breakfast with Bob, he shares the incredible stories of athletes chasing their goals and dreams, providing a much-loved global platform to inspire others to take up the sport he so dearly loves and has dedicated most of the past 50 years to. Trailblazer, innovator, entrepreneur, storyteller, author and multiple Ironman, Bob is one of the greatest historians of our sport with a thirst for knowledge and a curiosity that sparks a flame within him. His passion for triathlon isn't passive, it's infectious. And the entertaining stories shared about his own life in sport, insights from the people he has interviewed through the years and those he has helped through the Challenged Athletes Foundation are truly inspiring. This is a super episode of the podcast and the perfect way to round out the year. I hope you enjoy it. And before we go to the chat with Bob, I want to take this opportunity to wish you all a very happy Christmas and New Year. I hope your 2024 gets off to a super start and I look forward to seeing you on a finish line at some point somewhere in the world. Now go grab a cuppa and enjoy the show. Bob Babbitt, welcome to the Try Talking Sport podcast. Ironman Hall of Fame, USAT Hall of Fame inductee, co-founder of the Challenge Athletes Foundation and Competitor Magazine, among some of the accolades to your name, a multiple Ironman and the man behind the mic on Breakfast with Bob, which is a rite of passage for athletes racing at an Ironman World Championship to be a guest on the show. If you are on the show, you know you're definitely an athlete to watch. What do you think of that, Bob Babbitt? That's an honor. Uh, I mean, for me, the biggest treat is that athletes actually come on and, and spend time chatting. I, every time I get to chat with an athlete, I, I learn stuff. I, I learn things that I never knew before. And I always, people are like, oh my God, you did 53 interviews during Kona week. You must be burned out. I'm like, no, I, I get I get energized, but every single interview is my, my wife, Heidi, who does all the posting and everything. She's like, Dude, can you cut it back a little bit? Every every interview you do, you're pumped up. And now for me, I got to do Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff and get it up on YouTube. I'm like, yeah, well, I just love talking to the app. I, again, I think the main deal for me is people don't understand that a profession, our professional athletes didn't start out as professional athletes. They weren't identified when they were seven, eight, nine years old, like a soccer player or a basketball player and taken brought up through the ranks. Their 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 age group they get into the sport and then they find out they've got this amazing talent at it. But I mean, Jan Ferdano's parents put him in swimming classes because they're worried he's going to die in the surf in South Africa. Right? Sky Munch, we're interviewing Sky at what was it? We were in uh, oh St. George. We're in St. George and we were inside Zion's Bank. That's where we were doing our show from. And she's sitting there. She goes, "Oh, I I was a teller at Zion's Bank." I said, "What?" She says, yeah, my parents told me in high school, if you want to go to college, you're going to need to pay for it yourself because we can't afford it. So I cleaned houses and I worked as a teller at Zion's Bank and I graduated owing nothing with my CPA. So and then she found out later, oh, I got a talent for this silly sport of triathlon. But they didn't start out as, oh, I'm going to be a triathlete. Dave Scott was a swimming coach. Uh, Scott Tinley was going to be a paramedic. Paul Neve Frazier, I'm not, I think she was a dancer and a skater and all sorts of other things. But most of our folks didn't start out thinking, I am going to be a triathlete and be an Ironman world champion and make my living doing swim, bike, run. 
What's really cool now, Bob, though, is that a lot of the athletes that are coming through are coming through the sport as a triathlete. I hosted the Triathlon Ireland Youth Awards at the weekend just past, and it was incredible to see all of these young kids. Their sport is triathlon from a young age now, and and they're doing other sports as well. But in, in 15 or 20 years time, we'll be turning around saying that kid was a triathlete and identified at a young age as an athlete. It just goes to show how our sport has has grown and expanded across the, the decades. I think that really started with Alistair Brownlee and uh, and Javier Gomez. You know, those guys were identified young by their federations. And then next thing you know, they're the best. And if you look at what, uh, even going back, I mean, Simon Whitfield, he had done, I think, Kids of Steel, uh, Hunter Hunter Kemper and Nick Rakowicz from the U.S. went up on our Olympic team. They were doing Iron Kids triathlons when they were little kids. Actually, Nick knocked off Lance Armstrong at the Iron Kids National Championships. So a lot of our guys started early, but if you looked at it, they were running in college and swimming in college and then doing triathlon in the summer. I think now what we're finding is that people are going, okay, I'm all in on triathlon uh, through uh, right out of high school and they go they go pro and sometimes they uh, they don't look back before we start talking about your own journey in in the sport of triathlon where did the idea for breakfast with bob come from and how did that all start of course <laughs> i had the pleasure of having the last word on breakfast with bob this year in coda a huge privilege for me to be on breakfast with bob it's been on my bucket list for many years so thank you for that opportunity uh, great to have you on. So I had Competitor Magazine starting back in 87. Even before that, I was editor for Running and Triathlon News. And uh, during with Competitor Magazine, really one of the big things, because I had done the Ironman 1980, and I loved this sport right from the beginning. I loved the Ironman, and I, I felt that people need to know more about it. And it became sort of a mission of mine to share what is special about this silly, silly event. And then that led to running a triathlon news, becoming LA editor, led to Competitor Magazine. And during Competitor Magazine, I wanted to get more mainstream exposure for the sport. Because people forget, in the late 80s, our sport was still very young. And we were trying to get people to understand who our athletes were. So I went to a local radio station here in San Diego uh, called the Mighty 690. There was a sports station. And I went to them and said, listen, I would like to do a show because I want people to hear interviews with elite athletes like Magic Johnson and Wayne Gretzky and and uh, 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 Serena Williams and people like that. But then I want our athletes, Paul Newby Frazier, Dave Scott, Mark Allen, because then people listening on sports radio will go, well, if they're on this station, they must be important. And there must be something about the sport that maybe I should know more about. So I actually said to them, listen, I'm going to buy time on the station if you'll give me time and give me your worst time. I don't care what time it is. So I got 8 p.m. on a Sunday night, and that started in 1990. And just seriously, during COVID was when we finally stopped doing the show every Sunday night. From I've got starting with real the real tapes, then moving on to cassettes, then moving on to uh, yeah, moving on to digital. But I've got all those tapes. I've got Lance Armstrong interviews on dig- on real to real tapes going back to early '90s, mid '90s. It's uh, it's pretty. So that led to those long interviews. Led to I'd run those interviews on the show, um, on the radio show. But then I would transcribe them and run them in a magazine. And we had a lot of response. People uh, really enjoying the interviews. Actually, one interview was Mark Allen and Lance Armstrong together 
after Lance had won, uh, he had won the world championship, I think, in Oslo. And Mark had won the Ironman World Championship in 1993, obviously. It was, his, I think, his fourth in a row. And had the two of them on. And there's actually a soundbite in there that is, is pretty eerie because it's uh, is like, hey, Lance, you should do the Ironman sometime. You know, you, this is actually, I said, you know, Lance, maybe one day you should do the Ironman. He goes, oh, that seems really long. And Mark goes, you need a challenge in your life, Lance. You need something to overcome. <laughs> and not knowing that a few years later, guy be diagnosed with testicular cancer and, and nearly die. And actually, on that show, there was a runner named Steve Scott who competed against your guy, Eamon Coglin, forever, right? Ran 136 sub-four-minute miles. And he got diagnosed with testicular cancer and was on my show talking about his diagnosis. And on hold was Lance because Lance was going to be the next guest. So when Lance came on the show, he goes, hey, Bob, can you do me a favor and give Steve my best? I'm a huge Steve Scott fan, grew up watching him. So I said, absolutely. Well, then seriously, six months later, Lance calls me and goes, do you have Steve's number? And I thought he was calling Steve just to check to see how he's doing. And then Steve calls me up and goes, do you have any idea why he called? I said, see how you're doing? He goes, no, he was diagnosed. And what I have is a pimple compared to what he has. I don't know if he was going to live. So anyways, all those radio interviews led eventually to when our company was sold in 2008 uh, and we owned triathlete and competitor. We started doing these Breakfast with Bob interviews. Uh, Poncho Man joined us early on and we did them at Huggos. Originally, it was just taped. There was no audience because it was, you know, we couldn't figure out how to do a speaker or any of that type of stuff. And then over time, you, you've been there. You've seen the crowds that come out for the interviews now. And we had to move over to the on the rock side of Huggos because there wasn't enough room over at Huggos to, to have, you know, two, 300 people there for an interview with Ferdano or Lionel or Lucy. So it's uh, it sort of grew from there. It is something that um, everybody looks forward to watching, you know, especially people who aren't in Kona. It's such a huge part of the Ironman World Championship week because it's where you almost can can get up really close and personal with the athletes. And there's so many people that you interview. As an icon of our sport and one of the greatest historians of Ironman and triathlon, your own journey in sport has spanned almost five decades and you're still racing. Does that make you feel old? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I'm in the what we call the 70 to death category now. And uh, actually, I raced the Tinsel Triathlon on Sunday out here in Hemet, in beautiful Hemet. One of my big pushes is is getting new people into the sport. That's always been, I always felt when I was handing out Competitor Magazine, my my goal for the race director was I, the, as soon as the race was over, their corral is empty for next year. They need new people. So how can I help get new people into the sport? And so originally we we're distributing competitor at running stores and bike shops. And then you start thinking, how often do you go to a running store? You're buying new shoes, what, every five months, six months? They're missing five issues of magazine. So we started going into Jama Juice. I did deals, national deals with Jama Juice and with Rubio's, which is a fish taco. You were out here in San Diego. You probably you probably had a chance. No, you didn't try to fish taco. Oh. I My don't like fish, Rubio. Bob. I only like certain fish. <laughs> oh, you would. Rubio's fish taco. My buddy Ralph, he actually was a surfer down in down in down in Mexico, down in Baja, and uh, they loved the fish tacos. And one of the vendors down there gave him the recipe. It sat in his wallet for ten years. 
And then he and his dad opened up uh, Rubio's Fish Tacos here in San Diego. Now there's 144 locations <laughs> around the West wow. Coast. Yeah. And so we put our magazine in there. It's like California's Fittest Food, California's Fittest Magazine. And the whole concept was that, from my perspective, that a lot of people think to themselves, okay, I want to get fit. I want to get fit. But they're not going to hire a trainer. They're not going to hire a nutritionist. They're going to say, rather than a Big Mac at lunch, I'm going to go get a smoothie, right? I'm going to, I'm, it's small steps. Well, if they go into that Jama Juice and they are leafing through Competitor Magazine and they see, oh, what's a 5K? Maybe I could do that. Well, that to me was driving new people into the sport. And that to me was always our mission at Competitor Magazine. If events were successful, then retailers are successful. Because if, if you don't have races coming up, you're not tuning up your bike. You're not going to the bike shop. But if you got races coming up, you're tuning up your bike, you're buying new running shoes, you're getting a new heart monitor, all that type of stuff. And then if 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 the events are successful in a region and then the retailers are successful, well, then the national companies, Nike, Adidas, whoever, they're going to look at that region and go, there's a lot of endurance going on there. Look at all the events. Look at all the success. Look at all the participants. We should put more funds into that region. And so everybody wins. That's always been one of my philosophies that you've got to figure out a way for the events to be successful, for the retailers to be successful. And at the at the end of the day, for the manufacturers to be successful. So your whole sport is successful. Bob, you were a bit of a trailblazer, really, when you think about some of the innovations that you were behind. Were you almost ahead of your time when you started doing all these different things? Like I've seen you with the, the Elvis down on the strip in Las Vegas. You had your own version of an Iron Kids event. You had a kids program when you were teaching, you know, and that's only just a tip of the iceberg stuff that I managed to unearth about you. But some of that stuff still stands today that it's so important. Yeah. I know it is. It's it's funny because when I came back from doing came back from doing Iron Man in 1980, um, and it was just like this was so much fun. But I, I, you know, I want to. A lot of times you're just doing stuff because it's fun. So uh, and then in '81, I was invited to do an event called the Ride and Tie, which was two people and a horse. It was a 28 mile event, right? So <laughs> I had never ridden a horse before, but uh, you know, I was a, a runner. So I'm like, okay, 28 miles. If if I can end up running 20, 20 of it, and that guy rides eight, and I, the horse is tired, I'm gonna be okay. So we go out, and the week before, and the horse's name is Shasta, and I get on this horse, and I've got a helmet on, and you know, you turn the reins to the left, it goes left. You turn the reins to the right, it goes right. And I'm, you know, I'm like, how tough is this? It's not a big deal. Well, what they didn't tell us is they start the race with a shotgun. So I'm. <laughs> My partner is on Shasta and he rides off. They shoot the gun and he rides off and he ties the horse to a tree. Shasta's tied to a tree at mile four. Well, I come running up and I don't even recognize this thing. He's got like smoke coming out of both nostrils. He's pawing the sky. His, 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 all of a sudden, his name is Lightning, right? And so I've got to get on this thing. I'm holding onto his mane. He's jumping over people and rocks. And I'm thinking to myself, this is a great concept. I got to lose the horse. So we're running along. And then finally, I would get to about mile 20. I've ridden out of the first 20 miles, I've run 16. And I'm thinking, the horse has to be tired. So we come rolling into mile 20, and there's a vet check at mile 20. And I see them taking Shasta and loading him to the back of this horsey corral. And I'm like, where's he going? I said, his hooves are sore. 
Like his hooves are sore. I'm dying here. What are you talking about? So I had to run the last eight miles again in my head going, this is a great concept. Got to lose the horse. So that next Thanksgiving, which is a big holiday here, and it's about a month and a half after Kona, it's like everybody is fit, but nobody wants to do a thing serious. So I said, okay, we're going to take this ride and tie thing. We're going to borrow bikes from the beach, from the the beach uh, bike bike shops, what we call the butt bikes with the big butt butt things, uh, big saddles. And it was Tinley, Molina, Mark Allen, uh, Riley was out there, all these guys. And the idea was it's two people and a butt bike. And you took turns going across this 12-mile canyon. So you start on the bike, go as far as you want, and leave the bike and start running. Your buddy would run up, grab the bike, and start riding. The other part of it is I'm in a turkey costume because it's Thanksgiving, and it's a safari. So there's stuffed animals hidden all over the canyon. And every animal you bring back is worth time off your total time. Turkeys are worth 10 minutes. And that... The silly part is I still have a storage unit with 300 stuffed animals in it. So that's I, I don't don't tell my wife that. Anyways, so we're doing this this silly thing. Oh, and then uh, the award was that it was a belt. I, we had a buddy of mine made these. Actually, I just saw Ben the other day. He made out of like a boiler, uh, uh, like those can the things you use to put a turkey in. He made belts. Uh, the turkey belt at Thanksgiving, the bunny belt at Easter, and the team that got the fastest time along with the most animals ended up getting the belts. And then the entry fee was 10 cans of food that we donated to charity. And then I had this uh, Devaney's Bakery made turkey cookies for me. That So this thing started, no permits, no nothing. I've got you know, first year, 25 teams. All of a sudden, I got 150 teams. There's 300 people out there, no permits. I'm in a turkey outfit. There's signs, welcome turkeys, welcome idiots. It, the thing's a total goof, right? People were bringing stuff back. Some guy brought back a car radio from the trail. I was like, that. I didn't even, I'll give you five minutes for that, but we didn't even, I didn't put that out there. People were bringing stuff back I never even seen before. And you had, you know, the best was Tinley would grab as many animals as he could and he'd hide them behind a tree. Well, these, these brothers, the Dunbar brothers, they spotted where he hit him. So on the way back, they grabbed all his animals. So here you have, at the finish of this stupid ride and tie thing, Tinley screaming at this, this 15-year-old kid, dude, you stole my bear. That's a 10-minute bear. What are you doing? <laughs> it was it was good. But so what happened is we've been doing this thing now for years and years. Oh, and then the ranger shows up one year. And oh, you'll like this too. So this is how you know that somebody's a keeper in terms of a uh, my my beautiful wife, Heidi, is she came out and she didn't do this more than once. But what I wanted her to do was I said, I'm not going to start this race with a gun, right? I'm, I've got an idea. I'm going to shoot a bow and arrow. And I said, hey, guys, I'm very, you know, very conscious and environmentally friendly. So I'm not going to shoot a gun. We've got a, uh, I've got an arrow. And when the, when I shoot the arrow, you guys go. Well, what they didn't know is I had Heidi in a white t-shirt with ketchup on her back with an arrow in her back, laying a half mile into the, into the ride, laying on the ground, looking like the arrow killed her. And so that was, uh, we did that one time, but you know, she didn't come back and do the event the second time, but that thing got so big that in the late 90s, one of our advertisers with Competitor Magazine, Brooke Shoes, 
we were meeting with them, trying to sell them advertising in a magazine. And Bruce Pettit, the president of Brooks, goes, listen, I can't afford to compete with Nike and a Reebok and Adidas in terms of advertising. But if you had an event of some sort, I've got promotional dollars. I'm like, well, what if we took my silly ride and tie, we make it a sort of official where you can't just drop your bike anywhere. You know, you you have to, you, Joanne would start on the bike and go a mile to my 25 foot inflatable with a cargo net up the front and a slide down the back. You'd leave the bike, start running. Your partner would run up, do the obstacle, grab the bike and ride by you. So leapfrog, right? Back and forth, which meant I could wear a frog outfit. So got my frog outfit and we're doing leapfrog. And then the last obstacle is a mud pit. And you wait for your buddy. You go, we have to wait for your buddy at the mud pit. And then you go through mud pit together and go in the beer garden, which the beer garden is right there overlooking the mud pit so that people are drinking and encouraging people to mud wrestle and all the rest of it. So it became a, a pretty, so this event, this, what had been the ride and tie that we were doing for, for grins, all of a sudden we're doing seven muddy buddies uh, leads to the sale of my company. And when I, next thing you know, we had 18 events around the country with 40,000 participants at these silly muddy buddy events. And I get to wear a frog outfit every week. And actually I ran into Greg Welch because I was, the problem is going through the mud pit in the frog outfit, the thing gets pretty filthy. And Greg Welch is at the car wash, like one of those home, the regular car washes where you, you know, you uh, do it yourself. And who's in the next thing over me washing my frog outfit because my wife said, I'm not why I used to bring it home and throw it in the bathtub. She says, never again. You figure out somewhere else to go clean that silly thing because <laughs> you're the shoes and the mud and the frog are crazy. So yeah, so that muddy buddy ended up being, you know, 18 events where our t- land lo- rover became our official vehicle and they donate a thousand dollars to CAF at every event. And our title sponsor was Brooks, then it was REI and Columbia, and it became sort of a big thing from, you know, one of my big beliefs is a lot of times people talk about having five-year plans and business plans, and I've never been a business plan guy. I think stuff happens because it's meant to be. If you if you hustle and if you're nimble and as a company, if you look at opportunities and seize them, you, you can't, you don't want to have a company where you're like the Queen Mary and you can't move quickly. You want to be in a sailboat so you can be nimble and move quickly. That that to me has always been what it's about. And, and if you look at Iron Man, you know, Iron Man was, is in a foreign country. It's in freaking Hawaii. You're not getting media in the New York Times when you're, you know, there's a six hour time difference. So how do you get media? And my thought was celebrities. Well, no A-list celebrities taking six months out of their life to go do the Iron Man, but someone like an Alexandra Paul from Baywatch or Real Andrews from General Hospital, or Sean Astin uh, from Goonies. Those type of folks can use the media. And at the same time, they can be part of the Iron Man show, and Entertainment Tonight comes over to see those guys. And who do they see when they're there? Dave Scott, Mark Allen, Greg Welch. They see our guys, and then they start showcasing our media. And then at our, we used to have, I had this Endurance Awards that we started in, in 1990. We did for got 27, 28 years. Well, who would I honor at the Endurance Awards besides our elite athletes? And we had 500 people there. But here's the the host from Entertainment Tonight, who was out doing some of our, doing my Muddy Buddy. We'd honor him as our Celebrity of the Year, Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell came and did our triathlon. If you, if you could look online and you'll see the video with Will and Mike Riley and I at the Endurance Awards talking about 
you know, actually taking a gel during the middle of his acceptance speech. <laughs> Talking about shaving parts of his body he'd never shaved before and getting yeah. rashes in parts of his body he'd never had before. But the coolest thing with Will, at the end of his speech, he goes, you guys are the greatest athletes in the world and you don't get the credit you deserve. You know, that's that's important stuff when you get big time celebrities who understand the sport. And they bring so much weight to the sport as well, Bob, you know, and their profile helps to build the profile of the athletes and not just the elite athletes, but also the age group athletes. So then it opens up that whole universe of, of the sport to everybody in terms of the sport itself. I know you were a runner, but how did you get into triathlon first off? Like where where was that first event or how did that come about? So in 1974 is when triathlon started here in San Diego, right? And actually there's a plaque uh, down in at Mission Bay where this was the site of the first ever triathlon, which was I think September 25th, 1974. And all that was was really a workout because you had everybody was were runners here in uh, in San Diego, part of the San Diego Track Club. And uh they um, the the runners were looking for different ways to train. And so on Tuesday night, they'd go over to Fiesta Island and you'd have a ride and then they'd swim from one side of the, the, the bay to the other. And, you know, so that was, it was just a way to enhance um, and enhance your, your, your running. So it was, uh, there wasn't, it wasn't really its own sport. So uh, what I did, I moved to San Diego in 78 and I was rock climbing down in Mexico, and I met a guy named Ned Overend, who went on to become world mountain bike champion. But the two of us were living in San Diego in a little in a little apartment down by the beach, and we read about this Ironman in 1979, the 79 Ironman. There was an article in Sports Illustrated that came out. Sports Illustrated was sort of the Bible that of of sport that we all got every Thursday, right? I've been subscribing since I was a kid. I still have all my Sports Illustrated's going back to 1960. So anyways, we read this article. It's like an eight or 10 page article about the 79 Ironman. There's only 15 people in the race. There's 12 finishers. And actually, Lynn LaMare, the second, the first ever woman was there and ran, rode her way in the second place at one point in that race. But the guy who won it was a guy named Tom Warren, who owned a tavern in San Diego called Tugs. And he had an event called the Tug Swim Run Swim that Ned and I had done. So we sort of knew him. And so we're like, it's not like you can go online and go sign up for something. We just read about this uh, Ironman thing. So we uh, tracked Tom down at the bar. And, you know, Tommy, could you tell us something about this event? How do we sign up? How do we train? What do we do? He says, why don't you, you know, come down to my office. My office is just south of Crystal Pier on the west side of the street. And so we go down and there's no buildings where he said his office is. There's, there's a, it's a parking lot and there's a, a motor home with a bike on the back and a paddleboard on top and some running shoes tied around the side view mirror. And we're like going, uh, Mr. Warren? And he says, uh, welcome to my office, Babbitt. And he's got a roll of dimes in his console and there's a payphone behind him. And he did all his business out of his motorhome. He'd go behind and order chips or order beer, whatever he needed to get for the bar. In the meantime, he'd go swim out or paddle out in the ocean. He'd ride out to Oceanside and then he'd run back and forth uh, to the Mission Beach Jetty. It was about five miles, uh, five miles round trip. And he did that every morning. And so then we... You know, where we we go to this bar. This is nine thirty in the morning. A bar which you could identify with. You're from Ireland, <laughs> so this is this is right behind us as T D Hayes, 
And we're asking him questions about this iron thing. And again, he's our mentor. He's the one who's going to teach us how to train for it, how to do it, how to sign up. And every beer he has, he's got a magic marker and he's making a mark on his arm. And we're like, you know, again, he's our mentor. So Mr. Warren, sir, what's the deal with the magic marker? And he goes, well, I have a little bit of a drinking problem. So I make a mark every time I have a beer. When I get to my sleeve, I go home. And we're like, oh, okay, I get it. Then he takes us to his house. He's got a sauna. His bike is mounted in the sauna. He rides five hours a day in the sauna, besides doing sit-ups and push-ups in there. And then so he gave us a number to, to reach out to the Ironman. And obviously, we figured we needed bikes. But, you know, we were we were rock climbers. So we had rock climbing helmets. And we went to the police auction and bought bikes. Mine was a $75 bike. Uh, whole back end had been burnt in a fire. And uh, I had a Radio Shack radio put on the on the on the padded handlebars. I had a fuzzy raccoon seat cover. Had pannier sleeping bag and tent put on the bike because I thought you swam 2.4, rode 56, camped out, and rode back the next day. Which, if you think about it, makes a hell of a lot more sense. You had no you you had no um, no aid stations at this thing, and because of the article in Sports Illustrated, now this event had 108 people, right? 1980. And we come over to Oahu, Ned and I, to go do this, this third ever Ironman triathlon. And, you know, we did all of our swimming in a 120 length to the mile pool. And seriously, we had been in the ocean, obviously, for Tom Warren's event. But as we're standing there the night before the race, the waves are breaking against the Grand Otani Hotel. This is February on the big, on Oahu, before I moved to the Big Island. And I'm actually thinking that, you know, we're going to die tomorrow. There's, a, there's no way we're going to get through the, this surf. So they bring us into this meeting at the Otani, and the uh, race director goes, guys, I, I got bad news. Um, I got good and bad news. Good news is ABC Wilder Sports is here, and they want to cover our event. Bad news is they're shooting cliff diving on Sunday, and tomorrow is our triathlon. But if we're delayed a day, because look at the surf right now, uh, I'll have to move it to Sunday, and I'll lose ABC. So we're going to move the swim tomorrow to uh, over to Aloha Tower, and we're going to swim in the lagoon. We're going to swim four lengths in the lagoon. And I'm like, this is the greatest thing ever. So, of course, Dave Scott and all these Navy SEALs are going, what a wussy event. I can't believe this is the Ironman. You can't change it. And then I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can't believe you're changing it, knowing we're going to live. This is going to be the greatest day of our lives. So we go out, and the next morning, and my crew, as uh, a school teacher, and uh, one of the kids I taught, her parents lived, her dad lived over in Oahu. So he brought his two girlfriends in his Fiat convertible. And I gave him my 50 loaves of Hawaiian sweet bread because who knew what you're supposed to eat back then in my Gatorade. And uh, God, you know, if you look at the people who are in that race, it was Dave Scott was in that race. Kurt Madden, who's still racing. Dave McGilvery, who puts on the Boston Marathon. You know, my, myself, Gordon Haller, I mean, all the, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. How all of us are still connected to the sport all these years later. So anyways, Ned's wife, now wife, but then girlfriend, Pam was his crew. She lost him in the first five minutes of the bike. And so when she found him at mile 90, he was drinking out of sprinklers in the median strip. <laughs> it's Hawaii, right? And I'm in, I've got these beige, uh, like hiking shorts for the bike. With a, I'm the only guy to wear a leather belt in the history of the Ironman during the bike ride. Uh, I've got the, um, 
a long sleeve shirt with a pocket sewed on the back so I can put my Hawaiian sweetbread in there, my Radio Shack radio so I can listen to tunes. You swam in this Alamoana channel. So I swim down and I'm saying as shallow as possible. On my way back, I almost hit this guy who was walking the entire swim, right? It was like just walking and moving his hands. His name was John Huckabee, and he's the only guy in the history of Ironman to get blisters on his feet during the swim portion of the Ironman. And they there was no cutoff times. And they lost, the his nickname was the Incredible Huck. They lost him in the middle of the night. They had no idea where he was. 1.30 in the morning, he comes wandering out of a diner in Waikiki. <laughs> yeah, people were out there over 24 hours. It was, it was, it was pretty, pretty amazing. And they had scales on the course back then. Every, every And you'd have to get off your bike and get weighed. And if you lost 5 or 10% of your body weight, they pulled you off the, off the course. I have no idea why, where the science came from. But so as I'm riding along, I'm going mile 25. There's my crew on the side of the road. And it's like, oh, my God, I'm going to get a handoff like Tour de France. This is going to be the best. And I got a Big Mac fries and a Coke at mile 25, which was awesome. Mile 90 was a rip your snow cone. Then at the end of the bike, I'm rolling in and I hear this this music and I see a bamboo mat and my team is like, how about a massage? I'm like, oh, that sounds great. So between a bike and a run, I had a 45-minute massage right there at uh, T2, which I don't know if a lot of people have done that since. Then we wandered off on the run. You got weighed and you wandered off on the run. And then I get to about mile five after I've been waddling through Waikiki, eating eating Hawaiian sweetbread and drinking Gatorade. And I get on the scale and I can hear the guy on the walkie-talkie like, can you give me that again? He's gained four pounds. You can't gain weight doing this thing. <laughs> but I could. So then I wander off and I'm running up at the mile 20. Now I'm excited. It's like we're running up Diamond Head. It's mile 23, which is a few miles from the finish. My crew's behind me in their Fiat convertible lighting up the road because there's no rules. And as I'm running up, I'm thinking, oh, my God, this I, I thought this was going to take me two days. I had no idea I was going to be able to do this in one day. And there's going to be cheerleaders. There's going to be all sorts of bands and music and festival to finish and roll in the Capilani Park. There is a chalk line and a light bulb. And I hear this voice in the darkness. It's like, hey, you. Yeah. You in the race? Yeah. You're done. That was it. It was like there was one guy doing one-arm push-ups in the park and me. That was before Mike Riley ever picked up a microphone. There was no Mike Riley. But it was one of those things that that moment is became so impactful for me because I knew I had done something I didn't think I could do. I changed my perception of me. And that was really important because I, it made me realize that there's really nothing you can't do. And that led to, as a, as a PE teacher at the time, I ran a program called Bob Time where we would play Capture the Flag. And then we created, actually, after this Ironman thing, created the Iron Kids Triathlon uh, in 81, 82. And the kids would do a, a run, an obstacle course, and then a swim in the pool that was across the complex. So it was, uh, it was, everything became Ironman. My whole life became Ironman. That's all that mattered. And I'm going to say that that moment changed your life crossing the finish line, but it was so much more than one moment, as you've described very quickly for us, what it took to cross that finish line. But how long did it take after that moment to then move into the sport of triathlon? Because mm. you were a teacher in a good job. You know, it's a solid job. Your parents be very happy. You know, so like it's a big it's a big jump to switch from something that you've trained to be, which is a, a teacher. You have to then suddenly decide you're going to change it all completely and and move into this sporting so world that nobody really knows about. 
No, it's a sport that nobody really knows anything about. And what was what was cool is, um, and this actually, it's again, things happen for a reason. So Ned and I did that, the, the tug, swim, run, swim. And the thing about the tug, swim, run, swim, you swam a half mile, you ran five, and you swam around the pier again. And, but you didn't stop at the finish line. Back then, they would you know, normally hand you a pop- popsicle stick with your, you know, your finish place on it, right? Well, you ran right through the finish line because tugs was three blocks away. And when you got to tugs, if you were one of the first 75 people, you got breakfast. You got breakfast and a tugs mug. That was that was the thing. And you wanted to be there with your mug and your breakfast before the 76th guy got there and got nothing. Right. That was that was that was the cool thing. But there's a picture of Ned and I with our runny eggs and our tugs glass that a guy named Mike Plant, he took this photo. He had a thing called Sports Shots. I think that was his company. And so I remember calling him on the phone and leaving voicemails and him telling me how to get to his place in La Jolla. And I got there and he told me about, hey, I'm, you know, I've been doing this magazine called San Diego Track Club News and I'm changing it to San Diego Running News. It was owned by Track Club, but I'm going to own it now. And Mike became the mentor, right? He's the one when uh, I left teaching, he made me LA editor of Running News, which we turned into Running and Triathlon News based on the 108 idiots who did the Ironman 1980. (laughs) And then Mike was, you know, he said, he says, why don't you, I called him about my Iron Kids thing when I was teaching. And he said, I said, why don't you should come out and cover this for your magazine? He goes, why don't you write it up? I said, I've never written anything before. And so I did, I wrote it up. And the next thing you know, you know, he, he liked it. He says, why don't you write more? He thought it was sort of different. So I created the Old Fart of the Month, the Reverend Campagnola Minister of Triathlism, uh, running wino. And so one day, Mike brings me into his office and he goes, listen, this is a pile of letters. <laughs> I said, well, this is a pile of what? Just, these are letters. And the thing that you have to understand and is you are touching a nerve. There's people, when you talk about the old fart of the month or the running wino, you got people who, I was an alcoholic and this is a, this is awful and I can't believe you're calling someone old fart of the month. At the same time, this is effing hilarious. This guy is the best. You need to run more of his stuff. And he said something that I'll never forget. He said, Bob, what you want in life is passion. People respond to passion. If people didn't give a crap, if you were vanilla and they were reading your stuff and not responding, that's not what you want. If they're responding positive or negative, it doesn't matter. They're responding, right? That's why, you know, like when people bash the Iron Man or, you know, positive, negative, they're responding. They're passionate about that. They feel ownership. If you feel ownership or you feel a kindred spirit, you want that. So that always stuck with me because back then, journalism, when you're covering events, was all about you want to cover everything. You want to cover. Uh, the winners and and then here's the splits and all this type of crap. And what I learned from Mike was what story meant the most to me when I was covering this. It might not be the winner. It might be the guy in the wheelchair who was in 30th place. That might be the coolest story of the day. And you're making that decision. What's the coolest story of the day? What do I want that people, what, what moved me? Because if it moved me, I think it'll move my readers. And that became the way I covered the Ironman. It was all about, I would tell that one story. I didn't get into, you know, telling people would say, oh, I can't believe you didn't cover this or cover it. Can't do it all. You want to do something where you can make it. You, I would rather dive deep 
in the something, then try to be spread all over the place. So that that became our philosophy of Competitor Magazine. It's funny because I just ran into one of my writers there. His name is Marty Dugard. He's now writing, he's been writing a series of books with a uh, Bill O'Reilly, who was a talk show host here. They're killing Lincoln, killing Kennedy, killing the rising sun, killing the SS. They've sold 18 million books, 18 million books. And Marty started as a writer for Competitor. And it was myself and Marty and a writer named Ken McAlpine. And we basically wrote every article in every edition of Competitor Magazine for 25 years. And uh, well, when, but it was, when do you sleep? I think sleep's overrated. I've never been a, I mean, I, I go to bed early. Uh, I'm one of those people that it's, it's like, it's like when you wind up something and then when it's done winding up and when it's done, it just collapses. The little horsey falls over. I'm yeah. a little horsey. But, but do you have like the cogs running in your head all the time? Like, is your head always like the ideas and all the time and the thoughts and the information? Because even just listening to you there, it's like you're you're just a wealth of information off the tip of your tongue. And it's insane. And then you go and look at all the stuff that you know about all the athletes and the history of the sport. And I bet you if I said to you, who won the Ironman in 19... Let's go 1999. Who won Ironman? Who was the women's winner? Could you tell me? 99, I think, was was 1999. Was that Lori Bowden? I haven't a clue, but you probably know the answer. <laughs> Lori was 99 in 2003. She won twice, 299 and 2003. And for the men, let's see. Hell Regal was 97. Peter Reed was 98. Uh, 99 was Luke Van Leerde. And then 2000 was Peter again, and 2001 Tim DeBoom, 2002 Tim DeBoom. Yeah, so we can yeah, we can. It's uh, like right? it's, I think Lori. Yeah, I think it just rolls off the the tip of your tongue. So and and you come back to the what I mentioned earlier about all the ideas and the innovation and where that all comes from. So Bob, what drives your passion for what you're doing? I know storytelling is a huge part of of what yeah. you do, but where deep down in your soul does that passion for telling stories, for being such an amazing people person, for getting the best out of the athletes when you, and the people when you interview them, what, what drives your passion to just follow your desire for triathlon and for storytelling? Yeah, well, what, what drives me is just is learning. You know, I mean, like I said, I learn from everybody I chat with. And my, my favorite thing is when someone comes on the show for the first time in Kona, and you can see this is the biggest day of their life coming up, right? This is the most important day of their year, and it can change their life forever. And you can see what's going through their head. I got to get my bike tuned up. I got to get this. I got to go pick up my packet. And as soon as Poncho starts playing, you can see the smile, and you see them thinking, I got 15 minutes. You know, this isn't going to kill me. I think it'll be all right. And then I think they it, they loosen up, and they realize that all I want to do is I want to share who they are with the audience because I don't want people to look at our sport as just a bunch of robots. If these are these are uh, people love this sport, fell into this sport, have a passion for the sport, and have changed their lives for better through the sport. And that's something that we see. You know, when I, when I look at the challenged athlete side of it, and I look at a Lauren Parker, for example. And when I get to see that, when I get to be involved with the journey from the beginning to the middle to where it's going. So Lauren Parker, she was uh, on stage with us in 2015 with Mike and I. She was got a silver medal at uh, in Kona. She is an age grouper, 25 to 29. And then 
in uh, 2016. She went pro and then 17, she's getting ready for Ironman Australia, her first pro Ironman. And a couple of weeks before she crashed and both tires flat at the same time, went into a guardrail, paralyzed from the waist down. And she came on the show, on the radio show in like in June, June or July. And her, she was injured in, you know, in April of 2017, she came out in June and she said, Bob, I want to stay in a sport. I said, well, if you want to stay in the sport, you need to come to our CAF event in October, our San Diego Triathlon Challenge. And so she checked herself out of the hospital to go home for the weekend. And we flew her to San Diego, right? Where she met David Bailey and Carlos Maleda and Cam Worth and Laura Siddle. And I, when she came to our, we do a celebration of abilities dinner. And I told her story to the 500 people who were there and said, here's this young woman who wants to stay in our sport. Because she, she thought that she was going to be coming over and she's going to be the only person there with a challenge. There's 150 challenged athletes. And our Thursday night kids dinner, when she sees all these kids in wheelchairs playing tag with smiles on their faces, and she's like, oh, what am I, what is my excuse? Here's a little girl who has basically amputation from the waist down and little Tessa. And I could see Lauren looking at her like, why is she so effing happy? What has she got to be happy about? But she's a kid. That's all she's known. And she loves it. So within nine months of her injury, Lauren was at the Commonwealth Games getting a bronze medal with, we, you know, helped her get a hand cycle in a racing chair. When that same year, she got a, um, a bronze at the World Championships. The following year, she got a gold. And in 2020, she ended up getting a silver at the Paralympics. 70.3 Worlds in St. George won that. And then went to St. George uh, Ironman Worlds and uh, won that. And then went to Kona and went 12 and a half hours and took two hours off the Kona time. So, and more importantly, she got sponsorship from Bahrain, from Bahrain 13 Endurance. And she bought a house, right? When you see our athletes go from the lowest lows, what's my life going to be? To a point now where she's celebrated, right? She's got a big following on social. She's got a, a great job as a professional athlete. She's now going to go for Paralympics in both hand cycling and in paratriathlon. And you see the smile that that's really what it's all about. A lot of times I remember when I was a kid, there was a local dad, the father of one of the kids in our neighborhood. And I was a crappy basketball player, but we're playing basketball. And he started, you know, I was hot. So he's like, he's got radar. Bob has radar. The guy's he's on fire. And it's like, this guy believed in me before I believed in me. And I learned something from that, that all of us need somebody to believe in them. But a lot of times before they believe in themselves, somebody said, Joanne, you could be a great announcer. You're going to be great at this. Mike Riley said, Joanne is going to be phenomenal, right? Well, we need that. We all need that. And if I can help with that, like one of our athletes, Jamie Whitmore won 37 Xterra titles, right? One of the best ever. When you look at the, it's a short list of best Xterra athletes in history. And her her battles against Melly McQuaid made the men's race disappear. Those two women were what the race was all about. Well, she won one world title, 37 titles. And then all of a sudden, she's having pain in the back of her leg and has no idea what it is. She goes to the doctor and doctor tells somebody who's an Xterra athlete, you must have a low threshold of pain. <laughs> <laughs> You're riding up at 10,000 feet on the flume trail. No, you don't, don't have a low threshold of pain. Eventually, they find a tumor wrapped around her sciatic nerve. 
And when they cut that, she didn't know for sure. But when they cut it, she couldn't run again. She had drop foot now. I called her husband, Courtney, while they're in the hospital. I said, please have Jamie call me when she gets out because she needs sport more than anybody I know. She's one of the most intense, competitive people ever. And so she called me and I said, you know, Jamie, there's para sports. There's paracycling. There's para swimming. There's all sorts of different sports. So, and, and the funny part was she started, you know, she's out of the hospital. They had the tumor removed and then she gets sick again. She's like, oh my God, will this ever end? I can't believe I'm sick again. And she goes to the hospital and the guy comes in and goes, you're pregnant with twins. <laughs> so 2016, we're in Rio. And she takes a silver medal uh, uh, indoor on the track and a gold medal in the road race. And who's there watching her but her twins. And this is a, when she was a little girl, her whole goal in life was she you know, watching the figure skating, watching all the sports. I want to be an Olympian. I want to be an Olympian. Well, she was a runner and she ran at UC Northridge, but she wasn't going to be Olympic runner. She got into mountain biking. She was good at mountain biking, not good enough to be an Olympian. She certainly wasn't good enough swimmer to be an Olympian. Then Xterra, she's great at Xterra. And then when that ends, what happens? Her second athletic career as a Paralympic cyclist. And she's realizing her childhood dream of standing on the top of the podium, hearing her anthem with the flag going up as a Paralympic uh, gold medalist in cycling. So, you know, seeing that journey is, and being part of that journey and just, it's, there's nothing better. It's quite powerful when you share the stories of of the athletes and um, of those athletes in particular. Mm. We only see the physical challenges for some of those athletes. We don't see the the mental and emotional challenges that those athletes go through because in their heads, their life of what it was going to be has now been completely ripped apart and from under them. And so there's maybe no sense of purpose. You know, the plans that they have with their partners or their families, their friends are, are gone out the window. And so they have to rebuild their whole lives. So what you are doing as part of that Challenge Athlete Foundation is giving people the opportunity to be athletes, giving them back a sense of purpose and also the opportunity to live their lives to the full. I saw you had Nathan Ford over with you post Kona, like an incredible, incredible athlete who is literally fighting every day to get back to sport in whatever form that would be well to get back his life. And we've had him on the podcast. The steely determination that that man has and his wife, Kat, is just, it's incredible to watch. It's amazing. It's so inspiring. So when he first was injured, Joe Skipper, we were at, where were we at? We were at Samarin. And Joe Skipper came up and told me about this uh, this young man from young man from Wales and that he had had this horrific crash and was, was not doing well. So reached out to him. And so we'd been in touch really pretty close to when he was injured. And I, you know, we were talking about him coming over last year to San Diego, but traveling is hard when you're dealing with the paralysis and that he's dealing with. It's, it's, it's difficult to travel. This year worked out better. They came over, he and his wife came over, they went to San Francisco, they came down to our event. We had like 150 challenge athletes there and we were celebrating our 30th anniversary. We've now raised $159 million and sent out over 44,000 grants to challenged athletes in 73 countries and all of our 50 states in 105 different sports. But the key to me is, Nathan, what sport makes sense for you down the line? I mean, it's, he's not there yet, but when I watched him uh, on the squat machine the other day do, doing weights, He's he's getting stronger. He's getting stronger. The hard part is when you're a type of athlete like Nathan, you want it today. 
You want you you're just like I want to be back doing triathlon today tomorrow. Well, that might not happen. Jamie Whitmore tried doing Xterra races using a walker and realized this isn't uh, no. I don't want all these people running by me. That's not what I'm about. It might be a different sport. Maybe it's quad rugby. Uh, maybe it's power soccer. But eventually, Nathan will find a sport that makes sense. And and what he gets a ton of satisfaction from is he's still coaching. He's mm-hmm. still coaching, and he and he's and he can live through his athletes and the success that they're having. But having him here was one of the high points of of our of for me is because we started with the sport of triathlon. We started with Jim McLaren when he became a quadriplegic after being an amputee, and triathlon is still very close to our hearts. And so, anytime we can help a a triathlete out, a fellow triathlete out, that's we're all in. I'm not sure did Nathan tell you the special story about the doctor who saved him on the day of his crash raced in Swansea at the Ironman 70.2 Swansea this year. And Nathan was at the finish line to present the doctor with his medal uh, after completing the 70.3. I mean, we were all, I'm getting the shivers actually just telling you the story. And we shared the story at the awards that evening and you could hear a pin drop and the standing ovation that Nathan got. And oh, it was just, it was just so special. I'm going to come back to you directly, Bob, and ask you, who has been the most inspiring athlete you have interviewed and why is that? You know, it's it's funny. A lot of amazing athletes, especially our challenged athletes, are, are very special. But one of the interviews that hit me the most was John McAvoy uh, from the UK. And John, uh, when I had him on, uh, you know, it's he grew up in basically the Sopranos, right? He grew up in a crime family in the UK. And I think his dad and uncle had done time for, were doing time for Brink's truck robbery. He he got, he he knew early on that if you got a phone call at the house, you didn't take it inside. You went out in the yard so that, because it was probably bugs. Got his first gun when he was 16, his first armed robbery when he was 18, got caught. He was not a very good criminal. He was not a successful criminal in any way, shape or form. Got caught because of the family history. He got like five to 10 years. And I think he was out in five. And then- he uh, was already planning a second armed robbery when he was caught again. And now he's doing a double life sentence because his propensity to, to do crimes and because of his family background. Well, then he uh, he's in his cell and watching on a little TV, a police chief with his best friend who dies in the police chase. And now he's he's like, I think, questioning what why he's doing what he's doing. And he starts getting on a rowing machine. That's in the yard there. And the guard starts going, you know what? You're really, like we talked about, sometimes it takes somebody else to see something in you that you don't see. The guard goes, you know, you're pretty good at this. And he went out on his own and found out what the UK records were for indoor cycling. Uh, And he started breaking all of them. And the guard on his own went to the warden and said, listen, if we really believe in rehabilitation, this kid is a perfect example of that. Next thing you know, he's out of prison and he's doing Ironman Wales, I think. And his book was uh, From Iron Bars to Iron Man. And, you know, now he's sponsored by Nike. He and the guard who who believed in him speak to prisons about not, not giving up on people. And um, I just love seeing what John has accomplished and, and all that's in front of him now. And he's you know, he's a perfect example of you never give up on people. And you give people the opportunity to change themselves, to become better people, which is what John has absolutely done. He's another one on the hit list for the podcast, Bob. So I might have to give him a shout after this. 
I'm going to go into a rapid fire round. And the first question I'm going to ask you was, were you nosy or curious as a child? Very. Yeah. No, I was, <laughs> like I myself. Was, yeah. Yeah. You know, always want to know more. Always wanted to know why and why not. You know, those those things that just didn't make sense to me. And it's just like, well, wait a second. Why can't we do that? What's the book that stands out to you from your childhood the most? You know, it's funny. I, I've always been a reader, but I read, I've never read like self-help or philosophy. I read baseball books. Baseball uh, over books. Baseball books. Are you I've a Padres fan? Not so much. A, I grew up in Chicago. So I was a, okay. a Cubs fan. Actually, Cubs. I was really more of a Cardinals fan. Uh, I used to, because the Cubs were on during the day and at night, there's these two, there's Harry Carey and Jack Buck were the commentators for the Cardinals and their KMX, KMLX radio that broadcast all over the, all over the Midwest. And I could, with my transistor radio under the pillow, when we were supposed to be asleep, I could listen to the Cardinal games late at night. And I just was, I just thought I've got, you know, Cardinal scrapbooks. And I've got record albums from their 64 and 67 uh, World Series championships and all that stuff. But I, I love old baseball books because there's there's just something about the, the old stories that, that, I, that I love. Where does your thirst for knowledge come from? You know, I, I just think I've always been curious and inquisitive. And uh, I just always, always want to learn more about things I don't know anything about. Right. That's that's it's important to me. At the same time, you know, I, I'm I'm probably a di- I'm not probably I'm a dinosaur when it comes to technology and, and a lot of that other stuff. I still I don't use a heart monitor. I don't use I don't use a lot of different stuff. I just go out and ride and run and swim and, you know, have yeah, and I, yeah, I have a little notebook and I keep track of all the different stuff. But yeah. And now that Ironman have signed a deal with TriDot, you'll be jumping on the TriDot platform and using the AI to get faster and fitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, no, it's and it's funny because Kurt Madden, who's been part of TriDot uh, forever, he and I did Ironman back in 1980. He was on the Ironman. I still have an article from the local paper here where he's asked about, you know, doing the Ironman. He says, what's this type of thing you do once? All right. And this <laughs> that was 1980. Right? And now we're in 2023 and he's still doing it. And it's like, I, at Curtis, I think, I think it's more than once. And I meant to ask you, did you beat Ned in 1980? Oh, Who- no. No, oh, no, no, I was like 50 something and Ned was like 20th or something. Ned went, Ned was just a legend. It's funny because when we first started doing this stuff, you know, he was a, a mechanic at San Diego Suzuki and as a school teacher and mountain bikes hadn't been invented yet, right? The sport that he was going to make his living at and become one of the best ever hadn't been invented yet. So it was like that, that happened early eighties. And then when he moved to Durango and was ice climbing, and then went to one of the first mountain bike races and won it. Nobody had any clue who he was. Ned was just in town here for dinner the other night. He was in town with his wife, Pam, and we all went out to dinner. It was, it was great, great to connect with him. He's still winning. He won a triathlon this summer. He's like 67. He did this race in Durango, his print race, and won it overall. Now, if you were asked 30 years ago where you think our sport would be in 2024, are we there yet? You know, I, I think. Early on, we got to think about it. We started in 74 and we got into the Olympics. We were announced as an Olympic sport probably in 94, 95. We got in in 2000. So you think about in 20 years, we went from a brand new sport to being accepted into the Olympics. And Ironman, with all the growth of Ironman and all the growth, we've had a ton of growth. But at the same time, my concern now, especially in the U.S., is we've lost a lot of races. 
you know, through COVID and even before COVID. And I think the Ironman is healthy, um, but we need the Olympic and the shorter distance races. We need, those are the welcome mats. That's how people get into our sport. And what I've seen, it used to be people got in for a sprint. They went to Olympic. Eventually, maybe they tried a 70.3. And if they moved on and did Ironman, great. But they were in our world. It was their lifestyle. Now I see, because I call it the endurance entertainment marketplace, because you've got, you know, you've got gravel, you've, you've got mountain biking, you, you've got uh, all the different rock and roll events, all the marathons, you've got CrossFit. There are a lot of different opportunities and options for people out there. And when you start talking about you need to find a place to swim, you need to get a $5,000 bicycle, you need to get running. We're an expensive alternative. And as a race director, it's scary, right? You're putting on a thing in a body of water where people can drown. You're putting on a bike race where people can crash at 30 miles an hour or a car can run through a barricade and hit somebody. So is it easier to put on a triathlon or a running event? A running event, you blow a whistle and you go to the finish line and you hand out your medals and it's it's pretty damn safe. So, and it's more and more expensive to get permits by the beach. And so I'm, my concern is people now look at triathlon as a bucket list. And rather than saying I'm going to do a sprint Olympic, they're going, I'm going to get in this sport. I'm going to hire a coach. And in six months, I'm going to do an Ironman. And they get their MDOT tattoo and they're gone. And that's not healthy for anybody. We, we need people to stay in our sport. And we need when the most, what I consider the endangered species in our sport, it's the race director. I don't see a lot of young people looking at, hey, this is a great opportunity. I'm going to put on an event where people can die in the water, die on a bike. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's scary. So I, it's it's important for us to understand that we need the pool triathlons. We need new race directors. The when when a race director is driving a Bentley, then we know our sport is healthy. <laughs> we we need those guys to be healthy and and understand this was a great business decision to be a race director. And at this point, I'm not sure it is. So where do you think will the sport be in another 30 years? Well, I, I, hopefully the sport will be bigger than ever, but I think we need to do some things now to ensure that. I think we really need, as a group, we really need to help fund the young race directors. We need to have the race directors all be putting on these pool triathlons that start with a 5K run and a 10-mile bike ride and 150-yard swim in a pool. My, my favorite thing with, with that is, you know, McKeeley Jones is one of my you know, one of my closest friends, and McKeeley will come to me to any silly triathlon that I'm doing, any of these short little triathlons. In fact, when she started training for Ironman, Paula called me and said, do not – call McKeely to come to some of your silly pool triathlons. She needs to be doing brick workouts on the weekend. Oh, okay. So bring McKeely with me to this tinsel triathlon. It's probably two decades ago. And uh, there's, again, it's three mile, 10 mile, 150 yards swimming in a pool. Guy next to us, he's got his big belly. He's got his board shorts on. He's got a bike with high bars and a koozie on the handlebars. And he's doing his first ever triathlon. He ends up finishing the race, right? Does the race. And he's like, oh, this nice, nice young girl helped me set up my towel. McKeely he has no idea. Olympic silver medalist, Ironman world champion, just some nice young girl. So anyways, after the race, the announcer's like, hey, everybody, the Ironman is going to be on uh, NBC later today. You should tune in and watch it. And this guy with his belly hanging out in his board shorts, his wife says to him, honey, what's the Ironman? And he doesn't hesitate. He goes, same thing I just did a little longer. Right. In his mind, 
if Jan Ferdano had walked up right now, he would have been like, you and I, we're we're symbiotic. We're the same. We're both triathletes. People want to be triathletes. It's a sexy sport, right? It, it, and it's it, it's a fountain of youth, something you can do forever. We need to do a better job blowing our own horn and getting new people into the greatest sport on the planet. And we're not we're not doing that right now. Kona 2023 was a super special race. What was the highlight of the week for you? The highlight of the week was just the whole feel around the event being all women. And what I loved about Kona Week this year is just everybody was so nice to each other. Uh, everybody was, I remember Sheree Grunfeld telling me she was out swimming in the bay and something never, something happened that had never happened before. She collided with somebody and they said, oh, excuse me. <laughs> when you collide with a the guy, they're like, get out of my way. What are you doing? You know, and during the race, you saw women stopping at the aid stations, filling up their bottles. You saw, what, 93% finish rate. Every person who went into the water came out of the water. What a concept. People, like a lot of guys, they just go off like a bat out of hell as soon as a gun goes off and they forget pacing. They forget taking care of themselves. They forget hydrating. And that didn't happen on race day. Everybody came through looking like fresh as a daisy. People took care of themselves. It was it was very special. I I was one of those. I still believe I want the men and women together. I love the feel of St. George or even Kona the year before, where the men pros were out there cheering the women pros on, the women were cheering the men on. I think that's phenomenal. But if the island can't handle it, then having rotating is fine. I love Nice. You know, we had our expo for the Ironman and the rugby expo was like 200 yards away. So you had guys in kilts with tank tops on <laughs> next to the Ironman expo. It was, I love that. And, and just that Nice is a real city with a lot of people not knowing what's going on. And then 10,000 people on the promenade who couldn't spell triathlon the, that morning now cheering these people on because they'd never seen a sport before. That to me was was really special. I thought both of those events came off flawlessly. I think Ironman did a spectacular job having over 2,000 women in Kona. I was actually concerned with my, thank God I'm not racing party. Uh, and I shouldn't have been. I was like, well, wait, what are we going to do? Because it's all women on the island. If you got 2,000 women on the island, there's 10,000 men on the island, right? That That's just the natural. That's the reality of what's going to happen. So it was, it didn't feel to me like it was that different in terms of the crowds and everything, in terms of men and women. It was, it was, it was a lot of husbands, a lot of boyfriends. So there was a great mix of people. And the nice thing was, Everybody was just friendly and and courteous to each other. That was yeah. very, very special. A huge amount of support for the women that were racing in whatever form that came from. And it was super to see so many men actually out there supporting. It was just fabulous to, to see and feel the difference that was out there this year. I mentioned earlier, Bob, that you're still racing. So tell me, who is your biggest competition out there at the moment? Basically, everybody in the division who runs well. <laughs> All these guys, like to me, 11-minute mile is a new eight, right? Like okay. Back in the day, if I get off the bike and run eight-minute mile, that ain't happening anymore. It's like <laughs> A lot of these guys my age are still running like eight-minute miles. I'm like, how the hell are you doing that? It's crazy. But my mentality has been, I've always been into self-preservation. And I know the one thing that breaks you down is running. Right. Uh, so many of my buddies have had knee replacement, hip replacement, all sorts of stuff. And I've I've tried to avoid that because I only run in races. Like I don't do any running. Be, it, I don't train. If I don't get a T-shirt and a medal, I don't run. 
right? That's 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 my rule, right? I only get only on race day do I run. I do the other stuff. I swim and bike and I do yoga and do all that stuff. But the running part, because it's it's pretty abusive for us older characters, uh, I, I save that for race day. Okay, interesting. Uh, what scares you, if anything? What scares me? Mm. Um, you know, I don't have a lot of. I mean, yeah, I've, probably big animals. If I'm out on the trail somewhere, seeing a big bear come up and, and come after me, but yeah, not really. You know, not much. No. I, no. You know, yeah, yeah pretty just, solid. Okay. Um, yeah. Have you been to Ireland? I have not been to Ireland. You know, what? I have not been to Ireland, and it's funny because one of my buddies. Uh, Ernie Hahn, who used to put on the indoor track meet here in San Diego that Eamon Coughlin became chairman of the boards for winning that thing. 11 laps in a mile. Eamon said he was the first guy to run sub three. He runs sub 350 there on those boards. And so uh, Ernie was taking a trip to Ireland and I sent a note to Eamon and Eamon met him for dinner. They hadn't seen uh, each other in years. So it was it was very, very cool. Actually, we just had a bike, a number of our CF uh, supporters did a bike ride in Ireland. Eamon was out of town, unfortunately, but he was going to speak to the group last summer. Yeah, they were there. We had a group of, I think, 20 or 25 cyclists. You you need to give them my number the next time. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you like Guinness? Um, you know, I'm not a, hate, uh, like, I'm more of a Corona guy. Okay. Guinness is, I'm, I'm too much of a lightweight. Guinness, I think, one Guinness and the rest of the week is history. I couldn't do it. Okay, just a couple more questions. If you were to put a mixed team relay together, yes. and this mixed team were to do an Ironman, so we're going to focus on the longer distance yeah. athletes, which two men and women would you put on the team to be the best in the world? It's funny you mention this because I was just thinking about this the other day because we were at Ultraman, you know, mm-hmm. and it's yes, you Ultraman. Were in yeah. Ultraman is a 10K swim and a 90 mile bike day one. And day two is a 171-mile bike, and day three is a, a double marathon. So um, I was like, you know what? I would put for day one uh, for the swim bike, it'd be a Josh Amberger, right, for day one of, of, of uh, Ultraman. Then Cam Worth for day two with the 171-mile, and then Patrick Lange for the double marathon. That mm-hmm. would be pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. For the women, it's funny because while I was at Ironman, I'm driving down Lee Drive, and who do I see running? Chrissy Wellington. No way. Yeah, Chrissy, she's on a like a five month sabbatical, and um, uh, someone had mentioned a day before. Hey, I think I saw Chrissy at the pier. I'm like, what? So I was on the lookout for her, and then see her running. So we stopped and chatted, and it was great. But if I was doing a uh, from a woman's perspective, a swim bike, Lucy for the swim bike on day one, right? Mm-hmm. Day two, uh. Taylor Nib mm. for the bike ride. Day three for the run. Well, Rinny back in the day would be my would be my runner there uh, with the with two fifty. And then um, yeah, so if you're doing mixed relay, um, they each have to do the race. So it's two guys and two girls. Oh, oh, they're doing the whole race. Mm-hmm. So it's- oh, they're doing a whole race. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. Well, if they're doing a the whole race, then I've got uh, two boys, two girls doing a whole race. I'll take uh, Lucy and Daniela. Two men, I would take uh I would take Jan and uh well yeah, I I would take Jan and Gustav. 
Mm. Why not? That's a big yeah. good. Yeah, that's a pretty yeah. good team. Yeah. Which male and female athletes have impressed you the most this year? And not just necessarily around their racing performances, but just generally across the board that you've kind of taken a step back and gone, wow, they've they've really, you know, done something special this year. Well, Lucy, for one, because, you know, you can get into a rut when you're off skating. I'm second. That's what I do. And for Lucy, and she knows from the first stroke in the water, she has to push. She can't be thinking about anybody behind her. She's got to push, 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 push. And if you, you think about the um, uh, the year before, where when um, when Chelsea went by, I mean, Lucy goes into the lead, right? Uh, Lucy passes uh, Daniela. She gets Daniela, and then uh, Chelsea goes by all of them, right? So she, you're thinking, oh my God, that was her year. That was that was it, and she got <laughs> she gets second again. And you're like, ah. So the fact that she went that ec- the extra yards, and she knew that she had to she had to be a better runner. She had to be a better runner, and but she'd had she'd had foot issues, and she was able to get past that and have that amazing amazing race. I also, you know, who impresses me a ton is Magnus. You know, he's he, what Magnus did at Roth, what what Daniela did at Roth, that was pretty damn special. But Magnus, you know, follows that up with you know every race he's there, he's right in the hunt. Right. He, he's never off. Usually I think that Milwaukee, he had some internal issues, but he's always right there. Very impressive guy. And just such, such a nice young man. I, I love the fact that we've got all these 23, 24, 25 year olds coming in. And I loved I did my show from Super League before, right before Kona from Malibu. Wow. Those mm-hmm. kids, you know, the Alex Yee and Johnny Brownlee. And, oh, my God. I just hope they move in the longer distance. It's a great era from a pro perspective in triathlon. All these young kids are going to be taking records to another level. They're they are unbelievable. Like you said, they grew up in the sport and they're the super league right now. For those guys, you can make a living at the you know world triathlon and super league and PTO and Ironman and challenge and 70 point. There's so many great ways for pros to make a living right now. Never had anything like that before. And you're in a position where you might not ever do a full Ironman. You can make a living 70.3 and down. I love that. And seeing a Leo Berger and guys like that jump into a 70.3 and just dominate, like it's no big deal. You go, wait till after this Olympics. It's going to be, everybody is, I think, a lot of them are going to jump into 70.3 at least. And I think a number of them have already, Hayden Wild, a lot of these guys have already punched a ticket for Taupo. Taupo is going to be unbelievable. And you look at what Taylor Nibb did. I mean, she jumped from... I know she was 70.3 world champion last year, Olympic qualification this year, been to the Olympics before, wins the Ironman 70.3 world championship again this year, and then goes and finishes in fourth place in Kona this year. And then you look at 2024, we've got the Olympics, the women are in Nice, the men are in Kona for the Ironman world championship. And then we've the new Ironman pro series. Then we've all the other races that are happening around the world and the other series. And it's just, it's, it's, you know, the way you talked earlier about we need things to change. I think 2024 could be a really big year for triathlon to change in terms of reaching the masses and maybe Mm -hmm. getting people to see the sport of triathlon as not just the long distance or the 70.3, the Ironman 70.3, but to see the opportunities to race at sprint and Olympic distance level and, and kind of embrace the sport and not be one and done, but to see it as a lifestyle. 
Yeah, and I think the key is, and something that I was very cognizant about when I had competitor was we need to be reaching outside of it's. it's mm-hmm. You and I can chat about this stuff all day long. We need major national media, and that's basically for, through through CAF. That was you know we were just on Good Morning America. We we do a, that's something that's very important is to do things that step outside just our little world so that people know who Alex Yee is and they know who these guys are and know why they're special and know about, have them talk about how great this sport is. That leads to new people, not just us talking about it, but people who have podcasts that are outside our sport. Absolutely. That's important to get our guys more mainstream cred. And the final question I have for you, Bob, is when you look back at everything that you've achieved in your life, what are you most proud of? Well, Challenge Athletes Foundation. I mean, just the fact that we started helping Jim McLaren back in, you know, 1993, he was paralyzed after after being an amputee and and on a, on a prosthetic leg that was prehistoric going 1042 in Kona and going uh, 316 for the marathon and then gets becomes a quadriplegic and just seeing what's come out of that. You know, our goal was to get him a van and give him independence. And we did that and then found out from three amputee women it was probably the most important moment of our lives when they told us, hey, it's great we did it for Jimmy, but did you know when you get injured, your health insurance will cover a walking around leg in everyday wheelchair, nothing to a sport is covered by insurance. They consider a luxury item. And you know, that still has not changed. That's still insurance still does not cover that. They'll give you all the opioids you want, but they're not going to get you a piece of equipment which will give you fitness, which is the best prescription for health that there is. So there, there are certain things that haven't changed, but I, I think I'm I'm definitely proudest of just seeing where Ironman has come and seeing the connection. When I look at all of our athletes over time who connected the dots between CAF and Ironman from Rudy to David Bailey to Carlos Maleda to Sarah Reinertsen, I could keep going in terms of Ricky James, all the different challenge athletes who have changed the perception of themselves and the perception of our athletes by doing the toughest day in sport. When Carlos Maleta says, hey, when I leave my my everyday wheelchair at the pier, I'm the same as everybody else. I'm trying to get from point A to point B as fast as I can, make all the cutoff times, which are the same for the, 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 the other athletes as it is for me. And uh, uh, my disability disappears. And I swim, I bike, and I run and try to become an Ironman. Bob Babash, thank you so much for joining us on Try Talking Sport. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show and hearing some of the stories and the insight. And thank you for all that you have done to bring Ironman into our homes and to bring the sport of triathlon right to our fingertips for so many years. Have a lovely Christmas and I hopefully will see you at some point next year. We might even get you to Ireland at some point. At some point. I'd love to join. Congratulations on being the first lead female announcer at Ironman this year. I think you guys did a spectacular job. And, uh, you know, like our sport, we from the very beginning is an equal opportunity abuser, male, female, missing a leg, in a wheelchair, get from point A to point B, who gives a crap how you do it? You know, just get there. And your your enthusiasm that you bring to the sport drives new people in every day. And that that's what it's all about. Keep Keep being great. Keep doing what you're doing. Right back at you, Bob Babbitt. See ya. Take care. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can get in touch with any feedback or guest suggestions by emailing me on trytalkingsport at gmail.com. If you would like to hear more great episodes of the podcast, be sure to check them out on our website 
or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow all of our activities and podcasts on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram. And if you have any feedback or guest suggestions, please pop me an email on trytalkingsport at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, thanks for listening. Stay safe, keep smiling and remember to look for fun and adventure in every day. Thank you.